Welcome back to the Morning Kick Podcast. This is a replay episode from the live YouTube, Facebook and LinkedIn show produced by Excite Media. We encourage you if you're looking at digital marketing, website design, to contact us via excitemedia.com.au. Now let's revisit one of our earlier programs and join our guest. Well, good morning, Kicksters. Welcome to Thursday. We let you have Tuesday off. I hope that you were able to recuperate, spend a little bit of time focusing on your business or your family, and that things are doing well for you wherever you're watching The Morning Kick. Keep in mind, we're now in a podcast form. So whatever your podcast app is, look up The Morning Kick with Excite Media. I'm sure that you'll find us there. Then you can subscribe to listen to the audio versions. And we'll make sure that this episode, which is going to be a great one, is up there very shortly. Now, today I'm joined by Mark McCrindle. And Mark is with his own firm, coincidentally named McCrindle. That was just absolutely perfect, the way you got the names to match up. How long ago did the McCrindle business come into shape, Mark? More than a decade ago now. In fact, getting closer to 15 years uh, I've been in this and and, and focused on this, this field of research and demographics in the future. I love the um, description that you have on your LinkedIn profile, social researcher and demographer, hopefully getting the pronunciation right, but it covers a wide berth. You actually look at society, research, analysis of data, even getting into marketing and looking at uh, products and, and how they're going into market. Can you tell me kind of what is the specialty? Where is it that McCrindle really makes its mark? In taking the pulse of the nation or of communities, in finding out not just what's happening, but what their aspirations are, what the sentiment is, what they feel uh, the forecast is for them as consumers or as community members. So it's looking at the data that defines them, that's the demographics, the attitudes and behaviours that sum them up, that's through qualitative and quantitative research, and then being able to I guess, strategize based on that as to to help organizations understand the future and effectively engage with their communities or customers or staff members. And isn't it interesting? I, I like the fact that you put in the word aspiration there, because if we look at the data, we can see trends and then we can forecast where we might be heading. So it actually has a purpose as opposed to looking to the past, we can look to the future. That's right. And that's this whole field of futurism you know, futurist studies. You can do that just by looking at technology and trajecting forward what the future might be. Some people just take guesses as to what the future is. But what we look at are the trend lines. You know, the future is being shaped now and we can look at the emerging attitudes of the new generations or the the changing behaviours of a nation and then we can project forward as to what the future will be based on the realities of what we're seeing now. 
Well, this is an episode where we're going to be able to have a look at what is happening within COVID. And Mark's going to be able to talk to us about some of the trends we may be observing and particularly the impact that it's having on the workplace. And I hope that you'll share this with your friends. There's going to be a great resource shared near the end of the interview that could be an impact for your workplace, for yourself. And so just stay with us. Mark and I have a lot to talk about. I also encourage you that if you'd like to leave a question here, whether you're in the YouTube channel, Facebook or LinkedIn, we're ready to take your questions. So you can pop them into the comments and we'll pick them up as we move along. Mark, let's have a very quick look so that people can connect with you at mccrindle.com.au. And so nice and easy to get to the website. Some brilliant positioning statements, but as a marketer, by the way, I think you've really nailed a lot of what's on this website. But people who are going there, they can pop in and have a look at your services. I like the fact you talk about outcomes. What are some of those typical services that you provide? People come to us to get a sense of demographic analysis. That might be a, a retail organization. It might be a school or, or, or government agency that's just looking to understand the changing demographic, the catchment of where they're at and where they're drawing people from. Um, and, and analyzing forward property developers and shopping centers look at these sorts of things. We then run surveys uh, of people, th those that are trying to understand market and gain those consumer insights, or maybe it's sentiment of parents or stakeholders. So that's the, the survey side, the quantitative side. We run a lot of in-depth and focus groups to find out the attitude and the, and the, the, the aspiration. Uh, and then we put all of that together in terms of reports and importantly, visualizing those reports, making them consumable in infographic form or in spoken form through presentations. And indeed, a lot of this is through consultancy within our help organization to understand what's next. So we've got three statements. We say we discover the insights, we tell the story, and then we guide the journey. And that's what we try to be about. Absolutely brilliant. So I think this is a name and a business that you should tuck away that your your business may need in the future. And Mark and his team have a great deal of expertise and experience that they can draw on. Mark, let's go back to what we're dealing with at the moment. We're right, shall we say, in the middle. At one stage, we thought we were approaching the end, but now we're preparing for 2021. What are you seeing broadly as far as the effect of the pandemic on the Australian society? Well, firstly, that recognition of Australians, and this is from our research, we've run now three waves of research during COVID of Australians, a national representative sample of Australians, a thousand people each time. And, and there is a growing sense of Australians. In fact, four and five say we will be in this for a few years to come. So what was originally thought to be maybe a three to six month issue, and then people thought, well, maybe it's gonna be the bulk of 2020, People are now saying, well, the impacts of this are going to be with us for some time. It's We're not just moving to the next, you know, it's it's the new, it's the start of a whole new reality. It's, it's not going to pivot back to what we knew. Um, there is a new normal emerging and people have recognised that. The sentiment at this point for six in 10 Australians is that they are feeling drained by this. You know, we all have had to adapt, whether that be the children learning from home or working from home, whether it be just the, the fact that we can't um, head out and, and gather in the way we normally did, that everything from events to special occasions to weddings and all of that has been impaired, uh, that, that students have been challenged, no camps and uh, excursions and let alone those year 12s with formals and um, end of year celebrations being cancelled. It's been a tough year across the board and Australians are feeling weary. Uh, the, 
I'm pleased to say that the, the rising attitude is hopeful. So a sense that we are edging closer to, um, to, to moving out of some of these challenges, uh, but nonetheless, uh, fatigue has, uh, has set in across this nation. Mark, when you look at those kind of responses, and particularly where is hope coming from one sector, I guess we're talking about individuals. But as a nation, we've had to adapt at every level, whether it be government having to come to grips with it, both at federal and state level. We've got businesses trying to adapt on the run, community trying to get a new sense of what is community, and then the individuals or the home. Are some doing it better than others? Yeah, they are. As a whole, our research has showed how adaptive Australians have been. Without warning and almost overnight, we worked from home and students did the online learning and businesses pivoted to find new services and new delivery means for their customers. Uh, there's been a lot of carnage along the way. We know that a million people fewer working now that were working in February. And we know the billions of dollars that have been handed out in terms of support through JobKeeper and JobSeeker. So it's, it's been a challenge, of course, but um, it's, uh, it's been something that we've been adaptive to as a nation. It does show great agility. You know, the speed of the pivot was phenomenal and that can-do Aussie attitude really did emerge. And it has uh, meant that we've set up systems and been able to connect in ways that we wouldn't have otherwise. This digital transformation was ushered in, even though we already had the technology, we, we were, it was ushered in by COVID. So, you know, never waste a good crisis. There has been some streamline, streamlining and some improvements to our organisations, to our communications and connections that otherwise we wouldn't have had. It's interesting. You're absolutely right. I can think of three key areas where we seem to have adapted well. The food and hospitality industry has really got their act together and obviously the likes of the, the Uber type solution is helping that industry survive. We've moved into health where telehealth, which should have happened a long time ago, has now become an imperative. And then as well as that, we've also found that Australia Post has a new lease of life from letters to parcels. So we're, we're adapting. Where are some of the areas where we're struggling? Is, can you recognise areas where we're still behind or whether legislation or finances are holding us back from doing things digitally? Mm. Well, as a whole, firstly, in a general sense, from our survey, we found that, and it's great news, that the area where we're the least impacted is health. And this is a global pandemic. And, you know, in the past, that was the area where we would all most be affected tragic as the results have been, most Australians are saying their health has not been impacted by this. And yet, you know, we've had lockdowns and we've had more isolation and we've had people perhaps not being able to go to the doctor as much and maybe some of that ISO snacking and uh, more sedentary lives. And yet health is going well for most people. Um, financially, there's been a big challenge for us. That's the, the, the second area of, of impact. And it's actually impacted younger people more than older people. It's impacted those that were casuals and, and part-timers, uh, those in certain sectors like hospitality and, and travel, of course, some of these whole sectors impacted. Um, the, but the biggest area of all where there's been an impact across Australia is in the social connection. It's impacted us mentally because of more of this isolation, because we haven't had the freedom, because our life has not been as we once knew it, because we're, we're less connected, there's increased 
loneliness. There's less of that social connection. We haven't been able to see parents or grandparents, or, or maybe uh, it's just been we're colleagues that we haven't been able to see in this work from home environment. And you know, there's a lot of that, not just collegiality and improved job that comes from just the interaction in a workspace, but some of that social well-being that comes from that that interaction with teams at work and that for many people has uh, has been brought to a halt so so that's been a big area but on the practicals uh, the the degree to which businesses have used these online tools for connection I mean this tool right here Andrew where we're connecting mm-hmm. you know the video conferencing the zoom calls the the, the ability to use project planning software and tools, collaboration spaces digitally. We have been in a knowledge economy and in a largely service-based sector, being able to get on well uh, through this, even without those offices, even without the gathered workplace, the, the dispersed one has still got the job done. It's interesting. You mentioned that social aspect, and and the the meme that's been going around is that the introverts need to educate their extrovert friends on how to deal with this because they're just not used to it. But coming around, I'm very interested in whether we're seeing a bit of a broadening gap caused by things like the employment issues. So, as an example, we do have hospitality, aviation, tourism, and, and other sectors affected by employment. It's concerning a large part of the Australian society who are concerned about their financial predicament. At the other end, you've got people that are either doing okay, not spending as much due to reduced interest rates on the home loan, reduced petrol prices. When we look at that type of situation, is there the possibility that we'll have a widening gap out of the pandemic? Well, there certainly have been people that have done well through this and people, you know, that have actually financially it's been great for them uh, because they've had increased hours they have had reduced costs they haven't been uh, able to uh, even if they wanted to spend money on a lot of recreation and uh, hospitality so they've saved more Um, and some people through JobKeeper actually because of the blunt instrument it was actually have had a a rise in in earnings other, other than what they were we're earning um, in a paid role prior. So there certainly have been some benefits in this for some, but for most and the broader economy, it's been a challenge. Um, and, and you know, the numbers that have either had reduced hours or uh, stood down fully or lost their job in this has been you know, tragic. Um, so, so I think, and that's at, at an individual level, we asked Australians this, how long is it going to take you to recover financially? And the average response was about six months. It's going to be early into 2021, people feel where, where they're going to start to bounce back from this. Uh, when we asked nationally, how long is it going to take for the Australian economy to recover? Uh, people were saying a couple of years or more. So there is a sense that despite the individual impacts, the national ones economically will be will be longer lasting. Uh, and, and so, yes, it is going to increase some of those gaps. In some ways, it's reduced some because there has been uh, an increase in the unemployment benefits. There have been some extra payments to those on welfare and on the pension to get us through this tough time and to help stimulate the economy with more spending. So in some ways, there's been a lift in those that have been the lowest earners and those on income support, um, but others have 
fallen through the gaps, particularly those who didn't qualify for JobKeeper, uh, those that were not Australians uh, in terms of their, their citizenship or, or residency and so had, had a job, maybe on a skilled visa, uh, but suddenly um, that job fell through and they did, were not eligible for the job keeper. So there have been some nuances, some gaps through which people have fallen, and that's been a challenge, uh, even though there's been some benefits for others that traditionally would be doing it tough in an economic situation like this. Mark, there's obviously been a concern right across community that there are things that people have been anxious about. Finance is one thing that we've spoken about. Do you think there's, there's going to be need there will need to be an adjustment in society to bring us back? Uh, I think of the fact that shopping centres were empty, um, churches, movie theatres, events. What is it going to take to actually get us edging back to normality? Yeah. Well, firstly, it's confronting the reality and recognising that some of what we have pre-COVID, we will never have again. You know, things have changed. These transformations globally lead to a new reality. And we need to recognise that and respond to that, not just yearn for the days pre-COVID. You know, the, the, the Australia we knew in February 2020 is not the Australia we have now, nor the one we will have next year. So we need to recognise that. And, and we have seen behavioural change in Australians. You know, they've found online shopping and takeaway working. They've used the delivery services, as you said. They're shopping more locally and the, the revival of the suburban shopping strip has been phenomenal rather than heading off to that destination shopping centre. We've seen a, uh, the, the benefit of those cafes in the suburbs that normally were quiet during business hours because everyone was in the CBD. And yet they have suddenly in a work from home environment found a lot of people dropping up for lunch or the morning coffee. Meanwhile, those CBD uh, facilities really have been doing it tough as the workforce is half uh, in the cities what we knew pre-COVID. So, so it's responding to those new realities and there will be um, some, some challenge there as, as we readjust, um, but, but we will get back to it as well. You know, some people, for example, are saying, well, no one's gonna be living in the CBDs anymore, all those apartments, who would wanna live there? You don't need to be close to work in that sense anymore and people don't wanna catch lifts to their apartment. Well, in the short term, there's some anxiety about lifts and about shared common spaces and and perhaps people can work from home and the CBD has lost its allure um, for a little while. But the walkable community that we've been moving to for some time, the fact that we can do without a car, and we can use public transport to get around, the fact that we've got a cafe lifestyle in some of these built up urban environments is what Australians have been moving to. The future of apartments is still strong. Now they're going to look a little bit different and there's going to be an adjustment time and it's a soft apartment market at the moment as it is for commercial rents but things will start to come back over the medium term and and yet the boom in the suburbs and particularly in regional areas where we've seen property searches go up as people recognize that maybe they can now work from take a get a home on the outer ring suburbs because they might only need to commute one or two days a week or maybe fully work from home therefore there is greater demand in the regions and in the outer ring suburbs um, and lower costs of living there as well. They will see this, this boost in, in, in demand and, and it will be some corrective, some rebalancing of the property market across Australia. So I think there are benefits that will come from this. There are booms that will come from this, even amidst the challenges as we readjust. 
We're going to come back to that resource that we promised everybody that is all about well-being and particularly well-being within the workplace. But I, don't, I want to touch on another area of your specialization, which is looking at generations and how they handle particular aspects of life. And in particular, we have had a lot of jokes about the boomers over the last few years. It's become the meme. But boomers are known for resilience. They've been through wars, etc. And then we've got the millennials who are known for adaptability, innovation. Are you seeing that the generations are handling the pandemic differently? Is, is there anything that they need to be aware of within themselves? Yeah, they sure are handling it differently. And that was one of the great insights from this research when we filtered the results by generation as to how we've handled COVID and where we feel, felt the impacts. The differences across the generations were quite dramatic. And it lines up exactly what you said, Andrew, that that the younger people have actually, in some ways, been able to work from home fine, and that they found the technology no problem, no stress there in getting the job done, and even the students in suddenly working from home, not just school students, but unis now for a whole semester have been learning from home, and probably many won't be back for this whole year. So, so they have found that adjustment fine. They've been very resilient on the health front um, and haven't felt anxiety there but they have been impacted on the social front, the, the social connection, the, the, the social elements of their life and their mental health. They're most worried about their future. They've been most frustrated by the challenges this has presented and are least likely to have seen opportunities from it. Meanwhile, the older generations, exactly as you said, that have been around the block a few times, been in a recession before, seen tough times and bounced back from that, actually are feeling quite hopeful feeling that we will respond well to this and feeling that uh, that the future will be fine, even though they have been the most impacted from a health perspective and are feeling the most vulnerable from the virus itself. So, so it's interesting that the, the differences uh, based on our age, based on our generation as to how we respond. And what it tells me is that an intergenerational solution is needed. That is that, that we benefit from the other generations. Uh, when we have an intergenerational workplace, the older generations can give us perspective and perhaps a bit of optimism and a bit of that support. The younger generations can bring about some of those digital fixes and uh, and perhaps pivot uh, to some of the new requirements. But across the generations, we have greater strength because of the perspectives that each generation brings. Some great insights there, Mark. Thank you very much. I want to now come back to this new book that's just been put out by yourself and Ashley Fell called Work Wellbeing. Tell me, what was the initiative for actually getting this underway? Was it in play prior to the pandemic and is it a solution for now? Yeah, we were working on it <clears throat> prior to, to COVID, but COVID has just really accelerated a lot of the trends that we were seeing. That is that the work um, has been for many one of the key points or places through which they have social connection. We spend more time at work and the blurring between our work life and our personal life in this digital era has been uh, increasing and even more through COVID, of course. And our, our focus in the book was to, to get to the, I guess, the answers that if more than a third of our working, our waking hours are spent at work, and indeed, when you add commute times for many plus overtime, for many Australians, it's up to half of their waking hours are spent at work. It therefore has to be a place of thriving. It has to be a place that adds value to our life. It can't just be a place where we earn money for the exchange of time. It's got to achieve more in life than that. And for most Australians, it is the key social bottleneck through which they gain 
connection. It is the key place where their skills are honed, the key place where they make a contribution and use their, their, their gifts and through which they are able to feel that they're having an impact and, and it's a key part of our identity as well. And with all of that in mind, work therefore uh, has to deliver more than just a paycheck. Um, and it's gotta be a place where we can thrive and therefore where leaders can create a place of well-being, where staff grow, where uh, the, the team are, are well-equipped and engaged and where we have those social needs met as well. That's what we wanted to look at, uh, all research-based and, uh, and we, where we deliver some strategies about how to achieve well-being through our work and in our workplace. Mark, just very quickly, in terms of who the book is targeted at, is there something that every employee would get out of it or is it more for the employer leading and creating that workplace that does allow well-being to be part of everybody's experience? Well, this for both groups, you know, we, we start off with a real focus on leaders because our research showed that more than four in five workers said it is up to the employer to make sure that just like physical safety, workplace health and safety is there, so mental health and safety is there as well. Leaders have to manage stress. They have to ensure the well-being of their staff. They have to see the growth of their teams and prepare them uh, for portfolio careers where they're going to move in other areas, keep their skills honed. In other words, that's the employer's responsibility. And so, you know, for leaders to create an outcome, not just where they get tasks achieved, but where they create and shape a culture of engagement and develop their people, that is critical. We said in the book that leaders have to have a vision, not just for their organization, but for their team, where they have to focus not just on the next project, but the next generation and bring about greater outcomes. That's up to the leader. And we, we delve into that a lot and what a, a leader who can create well-being looks like. But then we also look at employees and say, here's how you can take charge of your own work and future, not just being a victim of the employment situation, but gearing up so that you can be future-proofed, you can be resilient, and you can remain adaptive in a world where there's lots of changes. And here's how you can be a, a well-being champion and, uh, and be the change that you want to see in your workplace and not just wait for the employer to offer it. And we, as we say in the book, you know, if someone is in an employment situation where the leaders are, are, are not bringing about change and where the culture is toxic and where the, the job itself is not really creating flourishing and thriving in society, then maybe that's something that can't be fixed and they ought to look at an alternative place. Uh, and so we, we do give insights for employees as well as to how they can ensure that their work is, a, is, is an opportunity for, for creating well-being. Well, Mark, we've certainly got some great insights. In the course of 25 minutes, I think we've solved the problems of Australia, or at least given us some future direction. I want to thank you for sharing your wisdom and obviously a lot of data that's been collected through the pandemic. We hope that it continues to point us in the right direction. Thanks for joining us on The Morning Kick. Well, thanks so much for having me, Andrew. It's been a delight. Well, wasn't that absolutely brilliant? Mark obviously brings, as he said, 15 years of experience within his own business and so much more there as well. And I'm looking forward to being able to talk to him again in the future about, shall we say, life after, when we can look to each other and say, these are truly precedented times.